Ladies and gentlemen, the recipient of the National Jefferson Award and the number one New York Times best-selling author, your host, Dave Pelzer. Hello, America and world at large. This is your host, Dave Pelzer. Thank you again so much for, for taking the time to listen to our show. It means a great deal to me. I, I know I say it a lot, but I, I, I say what I mean, and I do mean what I say, because these are troubling times. Uh, things may get a little bit worse before they get better, but, but before we get into that, I just want to ask the question we always ask, how are you doing? Are you safe? Are you okay? Are you getting good sleep? Are you taking care of yourself? With all things that you do, with all that you are, with all that you do, please, most importantly, take care of you. And by that, physically, spiritually, uh, mentally, uh, mental health services in the next few years are just going to go through the roof. I'm reading reports every I I just uh, saw something this morning that they're now predicting over 220,000 deaths from the virus by uh, November of this year. We're not sheltering in place as much as we used to, obviously. A lot of people are being arrogant about not wearing a mask. And that's going to have an effect on, on all of us. If it's not for the person not wearing the mask, it's those around them. And it seems right now that uh, the, uh, the younger generation from 20 to 40 are just basically revolting. Some of them are saying that the virus is fake. Some are being so arrogant, they're throwing frat parties in which they want to, who can catch the virus first party, which is just, I'm sorry to say this, it's just stupid and foolish, absolutely foolish. So please, in all things, take care of you first. You can't work if you're dead. You can't take care of your family if you're laid up in the hospital, for goodness sakes. And I always tell people, you know, particularly if you're sheltering in place or just going to and from work. Again, do three things a day to take care of yourself. A cup of coffee, maybe you meditate, maybe take a walk, maybe you, you, you indulge on something, maybe you watch that nice sunset with a glass of wine. Take care of yourself, work your program every single day. Myself, I, I get up at a certain time, I, I work out as much as I can, I try to do landscaping around the house, I love doing that, and a couple times a month, it sounds silly, I date myself. It sounds stupid, but I'll have a menu that I'm going to make. I'm going to go shopping. I work out, get dressed, shower and shave, you know, and, and listen to music, listen to a background movie and so forth. Cook for myself, clean up afterwards, eh, put it in the sink, go to bed at a certain time, relax. There's no walk of shame. There's no guilt. You know, it's just little things like that. Do three to four little things for yourself. Maybe do three to four little things for others. To make them feel better. When you do for others, it's amazing how good you feel. Because you have no idea what they're going through. You think you're going through a hard time? Look across that fence. I know a lot of people are very, very nervous about the economy, about losing their job, possibly losing their home. So I understand the frustration. But please be patient and be calm. So that that's your basic PSA. And again, we're always looking for nuggets. Uh, there's a lady... She's listened to my show many years ago when I did the, the internet show and used to email us a lot. And I forget her name and I apologize. I'll get her name later. And she says she likes a good Davism. I used to give out the little, little, little mantras. So here's the mantra 
for this show. And all things that you do, please take care of you. So there's a lot going on in the world today, and a lot of people are, are, are still in denial. I just can't believe it. I mean, we don't have to come to the acceptance that this is a new world until we, you know, get, get, get the vaccines. And they're, they're trying them out now. It may be six, eight months to a year before we get a good vaccine, which is pretty quick. That's still pretty quick. So all we have to do is for the moment. I tell people, don't, don't look at the big picture. It's too big. It's too much. Uh, when I worked in the military and did training, uh, particularly with uh, paramilitary groups, it might be a six-month program. It might be a year-long program. For some of these uh, 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 paratroopers or the uh, special forces, the SEALs or PJs in the Air Force, that's a three-year training program. So I always tell people, breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper. In four to six hours, what can you do? Don't think about the week. Don't think about the day. Just break it up in small, easy bites. When I do training with the fire department, I say, think about this in three to five seconds. Then another five to eight seconds. Another five to eight seconds. There's a thousand steps to, to putting out a fire, to... to uh, Extricate people from a vehicle, uh, wildland fires. There's a thousand steps involved, but do it in small, bite-sized pieces. That's why I tell people, you know, one step or one day at a time. People in program know this. They've taught me more than I've, 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 I've been privileged to, to hear their stories and how they redeem themselves to make themselves better. It's one day at a time. That's why, again, take care of yourself. So a lot of folks, again, are, are still in denial. And, and I'll say this, denial can be dangerous. I think that's the most dangerous thing we do as human beings is we deny, 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 deny. Then when the fit hits the shan, we're surprised. Oh, my goodness, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, my goodness, how can you leave me? Oh, my goodness, I'm out of a job, really? And, and, and think about it. From the, from, from the health aspect, you know, when you're young, we, we, it's amazing what we do. We trash our bodies. I used to run 15 miles, three or four days a week in boots in Florida. How stupid was that? I didn't stretch. I just ran, run for us, run. And when you're in your 30s and 40s, you got to listen to your body because it's really talking to you. Your recovery rate's going to be a lot longer than your 40s and, or 50s and 60s. It really, you better start really listening to those aches and pains. For the most part, you don't wake up. And, and, and you go to the hospital, it says, oh, by the way, you have stage four cancer. What? I mean, that, that, it does happen, but it's pretty rare. No, really, there's something going on. We all do this. Myself more than anybody. I'm not in, in the doctors, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm a weird duck for sure. But the, the body will start talking to you, so listen to your body. That's why we're supposed to get annual examinations. You know, get the prostate checked. Get your breast checked. We're supposed to take, what is it? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. So you got to listen to your body. Financially, no one wakes up and says, oh my gosh, I've just discovered I'm $100,000 in credit card debt. What do I do? No, no, no. It, it, it kind of creeps up on you. You kind of know what's going on, but we're in that state of denial. Uh, Business-wise, you don't normally show up at work and boom, it just shuts down. There, there's a series... Um, Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great series, and I don't think you can make this series in this day and age. It's called The Office, with our amazing, the, the most amazing cast you've ever seen. Great writing, and and it's and, and it's about you know office relationships, 
and and just how stupid some of these characters are. They're just unbelievable. <laughs> Mike, the, scary, the character of Michael Scott, oh my goodness. But part of that sub-story in the eight to nine seasons it was on was about their company, company. They're a paper distribution company called Dunder Mifflin. And it's about their extinction and how they're in complete denial that they're, the, the, the bigger companies, the office depots, are buying are, are 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 cheaper, better, and faster, and they do anything they can to grab to grab as many clients as they can. And 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 even though the clients say it's cheaper to go with X rather than you know Dunder Mifflin, it's cheaper to go with Y rather than Dunder Mifflin. They're in complete denial, and they just jump through all these hoops. Another part of this is relationships. I I I I I cannot begin to tell you at this day and age. I mean, as as long as I've been walking this earth, how many times I could have done better in relationships, in business relationships, but particularly in interpersonal relationships, private relationships, loves. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed and embarrassed that I could have, should have done more. And sometimes we do that. We cling on to the past. We don't work the relationship. We, we kind of like coast on the relationship. And, and a lot of us, we, we, we stay in that relationship longer than we should, and then we get resentment involved, and there's a lot of anger, and, you know, and then suddenly we're surprised when that person is, is, is a gone girl, in a sense. And, and, and I say this, and, and I'm talking as an adult, and I don't want any hurricane or smirking on this. A healthy sex life is so important in a relationship. It's not about the sex. Sex, to me, a lot of it is about communication. When you quit having sex, you're actually stifling a lot of communication because think about the act of sex or making love. There's a lot involved to it. There's a lot of mental foreplay involved, physical foreplay involved, the act itself. And then what's great about, you know, uh, sex is afterwards. What, 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 do you, what do you do after you have sex? You relax. You're in the glow. You're in the moment. You can say or do anything you want because you just had sex. A lot of people, they cook. A lot of people, they'll go outside at 2 o'clock in the morning and look at the stars. And they fantasize about, you know, hey, this is so beautiful. What if we, you know, took it to another level? What if we moved in together? What if we got married? What if we had a, you know, house? I mean, it leads to so much other things because you're just open. So I'm saying if there's a problem in any of these areas, please don't deny, deny, deny. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror. It's hard to make a change in business. It's hard to, to love certain foods, but because of your health, you can't do it anymore. You have to do things differently. It's not easy, but it puts you on that road, that pathway of empowerment. So please, please, please look at the denial of your life and others around you. And as always, as always, don't worry about others. Just keep your side of the street clean as they say in good recovery, for goodness sakes. So that's your basic PSA, and I don't mean to be over-lecturous. I, I, I don't. There's, there's a lot of things I don't know, but I know in certain things, I know what is true in my heart, and we can and should do better. So please take care of yourself, ladies and gentlemen. So to, to move on, to move on to the show, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're, we're going to talk about uh, denial. It's going to be a two-part show. And, 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 and this, uh, we, 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 as, as you know, we, we ask for like comments or questions on the website and uh, we're doing some social media things. And a lady had a question, Michelle from Norfolk, uh, Nebraska, pardon me. 
had a question about Dave. Tell me, basically it said, tell me the story about what happened to you at age four. So I made reference to that in the first show. So I'm going to tell you a story about what happened to me at age four. And here's your little bit of homework assignment. I want you to find out two people that were in denial with this story. And it wasn't myself, because again, I was only four. And it wasn't my siblings, because they were three and five. So it wasn't them. But two people that could have really said something or did something to possibly stop the situation. Now, before I do that, I'm going to kind of go backtrack a little bit. If you want to see a film about mental health and folks that were kind of in denial of someone that really needed good mental health, and it was in part because of the system was breaking down, you have a city that's under besiege, is breaking down. There's not a positive relationship with the individual and, and the workplace and, and even the mother. And his name was Arthur. But he became the character Joker. If you really want to see a, a film about mental health and go from one extreme to the other, they, they hit every, every tack every tack in, 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 in that situation. It's a good film. It's just kind of a scary film to me. And it goes very extreme. But just look at that. What could have been done at the time to prevent this? What could have been done at the time? And there was like three or four different times in that movie. We could have, I mean, obviously, whether it was medication or therapy or, you know, just, just you know, you know, this moral responsibility. So with that, Remember those two little things about who, who was in denial that could have helped the situation of, of my family at age four. Now, to kind of set the picture here, my, my mother, when I was a very small child, I just, I just remember her glowing. I think one of the fondest memories I have, and we'll tell, tell that in another story, and, and that's one of the reasons why I just love the Russian River in Northern California is we took a vacation and one time my mother just hugged me. It was a simple hug. It was a simple hug. And isn't it amazing, ladies and gentlemen, how we cling on and we'll go back in time. We'll, we'll go to the moon and back. We'll crawl on glass. We will do anything we can for those simple, simple moments. So to kind of put that in a different perspective, Rather than wanting to receive moments like that, maybe you can give moments like that. So that's, that's something. So I, the, the, the earliest memories of my mom, she was very caring and loving, uh, too, too much, uh, so much to the point that she was overly controlling. There was always an issue with her and her mom. One of the first memories I have of my grandmother, she was, ah, the first and last words out of her mouth, ah. And it was always, wherever you're doing this wrong. Kathy, you're doing this wrong. Why are you doing this? I wouldn't do that. It's not my house. I don't want to put my nose into this business, but blah, 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 blah. And they would argue in the kitchen when she came over unannounced, my grandmother, or uh, three or four times a day on the phone, and particularly when my father was gone at work. Again, a firefighter in San Francisco, 24 on, basically 48 off. Another thing I remember about my mom, and it's a slight little thing, and this is normal. This is normal. Uh, uh, when my father was gone, she most likely would be in a uh, get-up in, in her little nightgown, and she had this pink, uh, this thick, tattered pink robe. And I remember her sometimes just sitting, you know, had the phone, you know, phone in her hand, 
having a glass of water, which I, I'm sure was vodka. And my mother and grandmother going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth over again. And here we are, three little kids playing in the room. And I guess we'd make too much noise. And of course, my mother would slam down the phone, just boom, 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 you know, like Godzilla walking down the hallway. And one thing I remember is we would all line up in a row. And we could parade, you're making too much noise, blah, blah, blah. And the thing that I felt was one, I was always afraid. I was always afraid. And half the time, uh, uh, my mother would warn us. And I remember my brothers would giggle. They were so nervous they would giggle, or they just giggled because they just didn't care. And I remember just cowering. I didn't want to make eye contact with her. I wanted to be invisible. And this is around the age three to four. So you can see how the table is set, how this is normal behavior for my family. When my father was home, nine times out of 10, my mom would get all gussied up and put on a dress and an elaborate meal and so forth. And, 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 and that's normal in relationships. I mean, we, when, when I come home, sometimes I just put on board shorts and a t-shirt if I'm not on duty or if when I used to travel, I wore very nice clothes and kind of a dapper Dan, you know, nice hair and and so forth. But when I come home, of course, I just want to chill out and relax. And that's normal. The thing, though, that, that, that kind of struck me was, again, at a very young age, I think I was already singled out. I'll never forget a small thing, and I, I don't think I've said this in public before, called the mirror treatment. The three of us would goof around, and my brothers just would, you know, flee from the room, go to the TV room, the living room, watch TV. But I remember one time mother just grabbed me and threw my face against this glass mirror. And she's lecturing me, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're a bad boy. And, and, and she would just go on for a few minutes. And the, the punishment was I had to stand in front of the mirror and yell at the mirror, I'm a bad boy, I'm a bad boy, over and over again. And she would leave the room, I can't hear you. And I would take another deep breath and say it over and over and over again. And this was very psychological to the point that I didn't like to look at myself for obvious reasons. And I must be doing something horribly wrong because uh, uh, she's not doing this to my other brothers. Even though we're doing the same crime of playing loudly or just rough housing and so forth, somehow I was picked out. I remember one time, I remember one time my grandmother came over, as she did unannounced, and I'd be in the, 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 the bedroom, the boy's bedroom, our bedroom, and I had to yell, I'm a bad boy. And I remember my grandmother just standing over and saying, that's, just, that's the most, you know, that's the sorriest child I've ever seen. And then just huff and walk off. Not, Rorva, Kathy, what's wrong? Why is David standing in front of the mirror? David, you don't need to do that. Stop that. No, this was normal behavior. As you kind of see the ticking time bomb. So who's in denial? I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe my grandmother. I don't know. Because again, I'm only three and a half, four. And there was one situation that set a, a, a precedent. It was, again, my father was away at work. It's Sunday. My mother is, you know, in her nightgown or her robe. It's late afternoon. My brothers and I were roughhousing a little bit. You know, we've been stuck in the room all day. I, I think there was, you know, bad weather or something. I'm not sure. And, and uh, we were doing something, and all of a sudden we hear stomp, 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 you know, Momzilla coming down the hallway. And it was amazing because my brothers somehow, as she came into the bedroom, somehow went right past her. 
And there I'm, you know, face to face with Momzilla. And she's berating, you know, I told you to be quiet. Why won't you listen to me? I can't have a moment of peace between, you know, your grandmother and your father and everything else, blah, blah. So she's just purging. She's just offloading. And and I, I just hate to say this. I don't have the guts to escape. I don't. I never said no. I never raised my hand. Stop. I, I, I'm frozen because I've been conditioned already. And again, I'm for mommies are perfect. Mommies are angels, for goodness sakes. And and she's kind of wobbling a little bit. I didn't understand it then, but I'm thinking maybe she had too much to drink. That's what I think now as an adult. And, and she's kind of hitting me over and over. And I kind of protect my face just a little bit. And I saw something like maybe there was a slight stumble. She stumbled, she, her foot went behind her the wrong way. And my mom was pretty, a stocky, tomboyish figure. And she stumbled for a little bit as she's hitting me. And then she grabbed my arm, I think it was my right arm. And I felt a sudden shock, an electric volt shock. And then like there was a little popping, sucking sound. And I, was, I remember looking at my mom's eyes. I was horrified and she was horrified too. It was an accident. It was not premeditated. It was a simple accident. By accident, my mother had pulled my arm out of its socket. Again, I, I look at her eyes, and they're just wide as silver dollars. And for maybe another half second, another beat, she, she, she leaned forward. As if she was going to hug me, which I thought, okay, yeah, cool. You know, we've done this before. She'll hit me or she'll berate me. And then she'll just give me a quick hug and, 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 and it's done. It's over with. You know, we've made up. And this is, again, our little secret. But she goes to hug me for half a second. And then she kind of just stops, completely stops, looks down at me, huff puffs, and just walks away, closes the door. And I'm not sure what's happening. It's a throbbing pain. It's numb for a second or two, and then it's just throbbing pain. And I thought, okay, uh, uh, she's going to get dressed, and we're going to go to the doctor's office, and my, the doctor's going to glue my arm back in place. That's what I thought. But I remember sitting in, in the room, and, and I think she came back and said, stay there for a while. And I thought, okay, she's not getting dressed. I don't understand. Short time later, uh, she calls me out to eat dinner, and we're eating in front of the TV, and we had, uh, the, 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 back in the day, it was called Swanson TV dinners, and we had those metal trays, metal TV trays, and I think there's a glass of milk in front of me. I'm right-handed. I go to grab the milk. My wrist is okay, but my arm can't reach it, and I'm starting to realize, oh my gosh, this is serious, and again, the more you try to reach, the more your arm hurts, and I'm kind of crying and cowering a little bit. And I look behind me, and Mother looks right through me as if I'm invisible. My brothers look at me, and you have to understand they were trained. They were taught, don't be bad like David. Don't be bad like the boy. Otherwise, I will treat you like the boy. So we call this threatening and forbidding. I used to bait my brothers. My mother, for some reason, if I didn't make all the beds perfectly, or if I didn't do all the chores at a certain time, I had to sit in the middle of the, uh, our room, the boys' room, in the middle of this rug, on top of my hands for hours out of whack. And, and once in a while, the brothers would come in, one of them would come in, and I would bait them, hey, uh, ask mom if I can come out and play. Because I was told, don't leave the room. 
And I, I obeyed her, black and white. I obeyed her. So I would bait my brothers, hey, tell them you need to make a fort and I need to help you. Or tell them that you need me to clean up the toys from downstairs outside. Come on, come on, come on. I would bait my brothers. And this was normal. They were afraid too. So I'm looking at my brothers as I'm eating my, trying to eat my TV dinner. And they're like, they just like, you know, lower their heads and just eat, eat, eat and clean up and boom. You know, want plop in front of the TV and zone out. And later that night, when we went to bed, something unusual this has never happened before. So we have three, three boys, my two brothers and myself, and we have two set, sets of bunk beds. And it was cool to be in the top bunk. So the eldest, Ronald, got to sleep in the top bunk. And, and Stan, uh, under me, he got to sleep across the, the, the room in the top bunk. And I always slept in the bottom bunk. It was just the way it was. But it was cool to sleep on the top bunk. I never slept on the top bunk. But for some reason, that night, unbeknownst to me, mother allowed me to sleep in the top bunk. And I remember she gave me like a little orange aspirin. It was like a bare aspirin back in the day. It was orange and a little bit of NyQuil. And I thought this was weird because I don't have a cold. And I went to sleep. And I thought, oh, she's, she's making up with me. Oh, mom's making up with me. She knows, you know, she kind of, you know, was, we made a mistake. Things happen. And maybe I thought in the next morning, the arm will just grow back to a socket. Again, I'm only four. But ho-ho. The next morning, I wake up, and I had a lot of nightmares, and I, I remember just falling in my nightmares, just falling and falling and falling, and I, I, I just, that was my nightmare. The next morning, mother wakes me up, and, and, and she's in face, and the perfume, and the beautiful dress, and she wakes up, and she's a little over the dramatic, oh my goodness, oh my God. David, you don't know this. David, you don't know what happened last night, but you, you fell out of bed. I tried to catch you, and, and uh, you just fell. You, and you were screaming and screaming. Oh, my little David. Oh, David, the pain, the pain. Remember Lost in Space? Dr. Smith, oh, the pain, the pain. Very melodramatic. So my father comes home. Mother's running around. Oh, David, I have to. Oh, you're never here when I need you. Oh, I have to go. I have to run. I'll talk to you later. And And we whisk away. We go to... Kaiser Hospital in San Francisco. And, and now the story that she tells the doctor is, oh, doctor, you must understand. I try to do so much for my children, and David is slow, and David's always asking to sleep on the top bunk. And I decide, well, yes, yes, I'll let him sleep on the top bunk. But anyway, it's my fault. It's, I can't never forgive myself. Oh, doctor, the pain. Anyway, I heard a screaming, and I jumped out of bed and put on a robe and opened the door turned left, walked down the hallway, seven, eight, ten steps, opened the door, and David, David, oh my goodness, doctor, he slipped right through my fingers. If only I was there a second earlier, I could have caught him. Oh, the calamity, the pain, the pain. And the doctor looked at me, and he already put my arm back in the socket. It was like a big jolt and a big pain. Had my arm in a sling, and I'll never forget this. He gave me like two tongue depressors. I wanted three, so I gave one out to Stan and Ron. But he said, this is for you. You're a good, brave boy. And he just looked at me. And there was, a, there was a moment in which I could have raised my hand and said, Doc, or, or he could have said, let me, let me talk to David alone, Mrs. Pelser. But everybody loves my mom. She's, you know, in, in, involved with the, the new PTA. She's uh, uh, involved with the, uh, there was like a little committee around the block for housing, you know, whatever, flowers. And my mom has always had the perfect flowers. 
my mom always, when, when you, you go to someone's house, she always had something to bring over, a food item, a, a salad dish, a main dish. Everybody loves Mrs. Pelzer. She practically walks on water. She's the wife of a firefighter. I mean, this is pretty big stuff back in that day. Very independent, very vocal. She, she's a force of nature. Everybody loves Mrs. Pelzer. But I didn't say anything to the doc, and the doc didn't say anything to me. And I remember we go home, we go home in silence, and she said something effective, this is our little secret. So we go home, and, and the kids, are, you know, the boys run around, and I'm cool because I've got a sling, man. I'm a combat veteran. And I've got not one, man, I've got two tongue depressors. Nanny, nana, boo, boo, you can't have one. And I remember, you know, uh, uh, being presented to Father, Rerva, Catherine, what happened? What happened to the boy? What, what's going on here? Oh, Stephen, you're never here when I need you. You don't know what it's like to raise three, three children all alone. Oh my, you're just off doing your little job, and I just don't understand. Anyway, I allowed the boy to sleep, and the story gets, and it's told over and over again, but it's, now it's more dramatic. I, you can't imagine blood-curdling screams. I jumped out of bed, and I can hear him screaming and falling. Oh, my God, you're never here. What's a mother to do? And it was really weird. I stood beside my father and a little bit behind him. You know, and once in a while, he would, as a child, you know, you used to call you tiger or pat you on the head. That was a huge thing. And I'll never forget this. As mom, and they're having, you know, drinks or, you know, mid-morning drinks because of the calamity of the situation or just whatever. I remember father, if I remember correctly, he, he put his hand in his pocket and he fished out a coin. Now, I don't remember, folks, if it was like five cents or 10 cents, but he meant, I believe, to give me this coin. And, and as he gave me the coin, being clumsy or frightened or just you know, I don't know, I somehow, either he didn't put it in my hand or he put it in my fingers, in my hand, and I somehow dropped the coin. Now, let's, let's play a little Columbo here. Let's, 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 let's play a little bit Detective uh, uh, Mulder or Scully from X-Files. The truth is out there. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, uh, I'm hearing that she woke up in the middle of the night Okay, from blood-curdling screams from falling out of bed. Has stated several times, jumps out of her bed, puts on a robe, opens the door from her bedroom, walks down the hallway, five, ten steps, opens the door, and I happen to, at the same time, slip right through her fingers. Right through her fingers. Now, I, I, I don't, I mean, I know about, a little bit about physics and aeronautics and little things, but the thing that I remember, ladies and gentlemen, when my father gave me the coin, it fell on the floor in less than what, one or two seconds? The longer it falls, there's something called terminal velocity and it reaches a certain speed. That, that, that story doesn't gel to me. And, and my father is a firefighter. He knows about, you know, common sense things, physics and fire and all these different aspects. And, 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 of course, my father wants to console my mom. She's very emotional. And I'll never forget my father leaves without saying a word to me. I think, I don't even remember picking up the dime or the nickel, for goodness sakes. But there was a look in his eye. There was a look in the doctor's eye. And I'll never forget this. At my father leaves the room, maybe to go to the bathroom, maybe say hello to the other two boys. 
And my mother kind of gave me a little hug and I can smell, I'm, I'm, I want to absorb her perfume. She had perfume in her hair. I just loved how she smelled. And she hugged me for a second and then she gave me the look and it was night and day, totally different look now. The bad look, the mother look, not the mommy look, but the mother look. I remember her saying, I believe she said something effective, you know, shh, this is our little secret. And that's when I knew I was in trouble. Because things are getting from bad to worse. And that's what I'm trying to say about denial, ladies and gentlemen. I'll stop the story. When denial becomes the new norm, when things are so bad with your body that now you finally go to the doctor's office, and maybe it might be too little too late, maybe in relationships, when you quit having you know, an, uh, an active, uh, uh, healthy sex life, you're, you're basically on the outs. We know this. But I'm trying to say, what if we address the elephant in the room, whether it's the virus or trying to get a new job or trying to get our finances together or our mental health issues or anything that you need? There's nothing we can't say or do in this, in, in this era, particularly with all that's going on in this country, particularly with race issues. This is the perfect time to raise a hand, take a stand and say, hey, Houston, we have a problem. I feel so terribly bad about what happened to me, but to, uh, to my brothers, how it affects them to this day. My neighbors, what they saw and heard. The teachers. See, it's not about just you not wearing the mask. It's about how it affects other people because of your denial or arrogance. And sometimes we may have to say, sir, you may want to put on a mask. I do that as a firefighter. I'll hand out a mask. Say, sir, I think you dropped this. Or, sir, you might need this. And, and sometimes I get a weird look, but nine times out of ten, like, okay, thank you. Or, I mean, think about it. If you see uh, someone beating up a girl or lady, you're going to step in and say something. You're going to call the police. You're going to say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. Am I right, ladies and gentlemen? I'm just saying, look at denial and where it can lead to. And you don't want to be like our family. You don't want it to be the new norm. So that's part one of the story. Now, your homework assignment should be pretty clear. Who were the two people, maybe three? already gave you one of the three. Who are the other two people in denial, ladies and gentlemen? Who are the other two people in denial? And it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, you can email me the answers, whatever. And if you remind me, I'll give the, the answers next time. So ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's basically our show today. Number one thing, if you've got to leave right now, again, in all things that you do, please take care of you. Please, please, please. Because mental health is going to be a big, big issue. I read a report, and I'm still reading it, and sometimes I have to read these things like four or five, seven times to really get the meaning of it. But they're saying if you're sheltering in place or if you're all alone, you really have to take better care of yourself you're at a 38% chance more of PTSD than people that have kids around them, live with someone else, you know, and, and stay busy. So please work a program and take care of yourself. And if things are going bad, please get help that you deserve and help that you need. Because I'm looking at the back end of this. We're going to need strong people 
to, to, to man up and take care of business when we get out of this, 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 this virus. All right, enough of that. So a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, as always, we we'll want to thank our friend Pat Matheny. And it was a question that I had, and we try to answer our questions. We try to work them in the program. Uh, uh, dear Dave, something effect like, Dear Dave, I know you're a Matheny-aholic, <laughs> which, which I am. When did you first hear of Pat Matheny? And I, to answer that question, it'd have to be back, uh, back in the day when I had blonde hair and long blonde hair. And, and, and uh, you know, the world at large was a little bit uh, different. It was 1984, Year of Our Lord 1984, from the soundtrack from the movie The Falcon and the Snowman. Uh, Pat collaborated with our good friend David Bowie with the song This Is Not America. Whoa, kind of appropriate now, ladies and gentlemen. And then back in 1985, I, I, I love films. My favorite film is, of course, Citizen Kane and then Casablanca. You want to talk about a love story, ladies and gentlemen. Casablanca just makes you cry because it's one person who's a little self-centered and the lady broke his heart and they meet in the middle of World War II and the Nazis are about to take over Morocco, for goodness sakes. And this one man, Rick, has to make a decision. He has to give up his love for a higher cause. Beautiful story. But my all-time favorite story is just a regular film called Fandango, 1985. And a lot of people don't know this, but Steven Spielberg was the initial director for this very easy film. It's a coming-of-age timepiece. You know, before, when kids get out of college and before they go off to the Vietnam War or go off to becoming a priest or, you know, going off in their different direction. And uh, I love the film so much uh, that the subtitle of the film was called Privilege of Youth. And I use that as one of the title to one of my books. But anyway, in the film, they, they have a lot of amazing music. And there's several pieces from the, from the CD called Wichita Falls. It was with uh, Pat Metheny and his then co-pilot who played piano called Lyle Mays. And Lyle just passed away this, this February, unexpectedly. I think he was, uh, he was young, 66. And him and Pat were together uh, doing albums together. Lyle was uh, uh, with the Pat Metheny group at the time. And my first concert, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I got to see Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays, you know, did photos and handshakes and so forth. And I just, uh, that, that's how I got involved. And I've been a, a Pat Metheny fan ever since. But again, we want to thank Pat and his management crew for letting us do that. So ladies and gentlemen, with, with that, again, if you have any questions, please go to our website, davepelzer.com. That's P-E-L-Z-E-R.com. Thanks for giving us a listen. So here's a couple things for your backpack. Here's some Davisms for you. Remember, and this is true now more than ever, put this in your backpack. Remember, in the course of a life, one never knows what events may transpire. Things might be hard now, and they might be in the near future, but it's only a grain of sand in the course of a life, ladies and gentlemen. That's why it's so important to celebrate when you go out to dinner, because we weren't going out to dinner before. It's so important when all the kids come home and they're safe, when we can pay our mortgage, when, when, when we find an extra $5, I mean something, when we can just relax for a minute without all the white noise. And we talked about this before with the white noise. Get your sit rep, get your situation report, and shut down the news for goodness sakes. And I always like to say, sometimes when the fit hits the shan and there's really nothing you can do, just smile and wave, folks. Just smile and wave. And this is important. Have the faith. Have faith in yourself. Have faith in your family. 
Have faith in others and remember better days are ahead because one never knows what the tide might bring in the next day. So that's why you got to be ready for it, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I'm always looking for greatness in everybody. That's why I love this prayer. Do as much as you can for as long as you can for as many as you can. You do this, ladies and gentlemen, day in and day out, and things will start to get better. It's going to be little ticks here and there. So, ladies and gentlemen, good day, good luck, and as always, God bless.